So like I said last week, it's uh, one of the really cool things about being numbered amongst God's people is that we stand in this long line of tradition that goes back hundreds of years. And you don't have to look far within God's word to find God's people celebrating over and over. In fact, once you dig into it, you find it's a very common theme. Uh, For example, the ancient Israelites, as they were being led through the wilderness, they picked up stones in specific places and began to stack them on top of each other. So if you can picture this massive mound of rocks, this huge pile of rocks, and on some of the rocks, they would write special words commemorating. They were really commemorative stones because when God showed up and did something supernatural, the people were like, we got to remember this. We're going to remember this place where it happened, where God worked. And so you see this big pile of stones, and then what made it extra special is that as they were traveling back and forth across the land, they would come across this pile of rocks, and they would say, remember. Remember when God did something miraculous in our midst? Remember when God showed up and he showed off? Let's read what's written on some of these stones so we don't ever forget what God is capable of doing. He always gives us what we need when we need it. And then you look at the people under the leadership of the man Nehemiah, they undertook this massive building project. They were going to build a wall. See, it all began because the dream was to get back into the holy city of Jerusalem. And, but in order to do that, they needed to make it safe because there were a lot of people that didn't want them there. And so to make it safe, you got to start by building a wall. And so Nehemiah directs this massive building project, and they build this huge wall surrounding the city so that they can begin to rebuild inside those walls, rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And so they bring it to completion in record time. Everybody's contributing. And then you read about one of the biggest celebrations in the entire Bible. It says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites, these are the priests, were sought out from where they lived, and they were brought to Jerusalem. See, they'd all been scattered. They were looking for the the central city to rebuild, the holy city. It's happening now. So they're brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. And he says, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. So imagine what this looks like. You've got these leaders up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them as well as the priests. Now pray for me. I'm going to try to make my Hebrew teacher proud. <laughs> Eliakim, Messiah. Miniamin, Micaiah, Elionai, Zechariah, Hananiah, with their trumpets. And also Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehonan, Malkajah, Elam, and Ezer. How'd I do? So picture this. So the choirs sang under the direction of Jezreel. So there are people on the wall, all these choirs, the big choirs, and they're actually, as you read the text, they're actually kind of marching toward each other, and they're coming together, and there's all this singing, and there's loud music, and they're like, yeah, look what God. They're celebrating God's achievement through his people. They're celebrating what God achieved through his people. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. Brothers and sisters, that should be the defining characteristic 
of your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Great joy. More on that in a second. So the women and children, they also rejoice. Everybody's getting into it. The sound of rejoicing, look at this, in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Special time of devotion that aids in the life of celebration for God's people. And God's people should be characterized by lives of celebration because we have so much to celebrate. Nietzsche said that if Christians want me to believe in their redeemer, then they must start looking like the redeemed. That's an honest statement. If Christians want me to believe in their redeemer, then they must start looking like the redeemed. And so I want to take this even a step further, this idea. Everything we should do as followers of Jesus Christ, as, redeem, as the redeemed community, God, everything about everything we do should be done for the celebration, praise, and adoration, all of it, to God's glory. Everything. Our marriages are for the glory of God. Our singleness is unto the glory of God. All of our friendships are for the glory of God. And we've got some verses. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat, think about this. Even your eating and your drinking, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How about this? Even your career, your job, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, you're here and you're thinking, oh, this, this sounds great. It sounds amazing. It sounds wonderful. But let's just get real for a second. Jason, have you seen what's going on in the world? Are you at all in tune with the cultural climate that we live in? Not exactly defined by peace. There's a, there are many, many things in our world, in our lives, that want to steal and rob our joy. Uh, the cultural climate is not an easy one. It is easy to get caught up in arguments, um, grumbling about the way things are, about the way things should be. It's interesting because uh, if there was ever a man who had reason to complain, it would be someone like the Apostle Paul. You read his testimony, you realize how many times he was beat down for the gospel, how many times he was imprisoned, how many times he was run out of time. He says, there were times when I was struggling to find my next meal. Okay, my stomach was grumbling. I was having some serious hunger pains, and I wasn't sure where my next meal was going to come from. If there was ever a guy who had real reason to complain and grumble, it would be someone like him, but, but, but he didn't. It would be very easy for him to give up, fall back on all that, that he had already accomplished. And look, churches are not immune from this, right? Um, 2,000 years ago, there was a church in the city of Philippi. There was such dissension that the Apostle Paul actually writes a letter and addresses it. We don't know what the exact issue is, but there were people in the church, two specific individuals, that had uh, such a disconnect. Again, we don't know exactly what it was, but it became, uh, it became known in the church. And because it became known, people were beginning to take sides. 
and there was some dissension and division. And so Paul writes, and he wants to help bring about unity. And what he does is he just nails the heart of the issue. He says this in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Isn't that an amazing way to start the conversation? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, he's writing to the Christian community. And then he gives you an understanding of why that's so important. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure. You ever notice this when you get engaged in arguments and there's grumbling and there's strife? What is inevitable? Sin. Even if it's in the form of, of, of an attitude, it's, it's going to manifest itself. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God. See, it's the idea that children, hopefully, not always, but the intention is for them to act like the parent. Children of God without fault. And then he gives you this reality. Because you see, here's the situation. It is a warped and crooked generation that you're living in amongst. And so you have the opportunity to stand out. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. In other words, he's saying, everybody grumbles. Everybody complains. Those who don't will, will stand out like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life. That's actually how you do it. More on that in a second. And then he says, I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He says, I want to know that my investment, my spiritual investment in you paid off. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, he says, I am glad. This is huge. And I rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is heavy imagery. This is a, a real, uh, this is a great picture of the Apostle Paul and how he viewed his entire life. So you, you have this drink offering and, and what, what would be done is let's say the contents were wine and you were offering that wine as an offering. And what would happen is they would take that cup and they would slowly pour the contents out onto the altar until every last drop was gone. And Paul says, you know, my life is like the contents of that cup. So here's what I'm about. If I'm being poured out, every ounce of my life is being poured out for you. Paul says, I'm so happy about it. He says, I can rejoice in the fact that God is using me to be a blessing to build you up. That's why he says, now, make me proud. So that it's not all in vain. All my work, all my sacrifice. Because right now, the message is, don't grumble and don't argue. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So let's talk about uh, grumbling. When you think of one collective group in the Bible that was known for their grumbling, who would it be? It'd be the ancient Israelites, right? Here they are wandering in the wilderness, and they're like, um, well, God is feeding us as much as we want and more, but um, we don't like the menu. <laughs> no, we don't have to work for it. God's just providing it. And what do they say? Can you mix it up a little bit? And then they start complaining about leadership, you know, like leadership doesn't know what they're doing. And ultimately, they point the finger at God. Like we have to lead, uh, have a leader that tells us what to do every moment of time. We're not mature enough to lead ourselves. That's not what they would say, but that's actually what's happening. And so when the leader is gone to meet with God to get further instructions on how to lead the people, what do the people do? They fashion a false God. 
And it's like God had just done a miracle in preserving them, that whole Red Sea parting it. People can be really fickle. And what happens is you begin to grumble and complain. And you know what was going on? God was actually putting them in a situation where they would learn to be content. Because when you're content, you learn to be appreciative and thankful. And you understand that God does, does provide what you need. True story about a man who survived concentration camp. When he went in, he was old. He actually survived. Shortly afterwards, as Poland was trying to put itself back together, he found employment in, in a restaurant where he was a server, cook, cleaner, did everything. And alongside him was this young man, no more than 20 years old. He had not experienced the horrors of a concentration camp, so his perspective on life was a little bit different. And so the owner of the restaurant said, you know, uh, every day that you work here, uh, I will give you one sausage, one piece of bread, and water for free, for free. And after about a couple of weeks, the young man said, you know, this is getting really old, you know, I mean, every day we're eating sausage and bread and drinking water. She's providing more. And the old man says, you know, when I was in the camp, when we did eat, we were eating moldy bread and we were drinking filthy water. And he said, now, Every time I come to work, I get to eat fresh bread, and I I get to eat meat, and I get to drink clean water. What happens is God will put you in a place that is uncomfortable, and when you argue and grumble and complain, watch this now, you're taking away from what God wants to do in your life. You see, you're no longer asking the question, God, what is it that you want to do in me and through me as a result of being in this difficult circumstance? What do you want to teach me? How do you want me to grow? And so when we engage in grumbling and complaining and arguments that amount to nothing, all of that, that is, is robbed. And so um, how do you know? If, if you become this kind of person. Well, hopefully you have the kind of people in your life that you can be honest with and you simply ask them, someone who's honest, and listen to what they say. Paul says, stop arguing. And why do we argue? I'll tell you why I like to argue. <laughs> I love to be right. I love it. I hate to be wrong. See, that's what makes it fun to be up here with some of you fact checkers. <laughs> Y'all fact check me during the sermon. And I love it because it proves I'm right. <laughs> so what happens is in our desire to be right, often we're not right. And we end up emphasizing the things that move others away from the gospel. So some of you, I've received this article from a few of you. It's uh, from the Atlantic 
October 24th, titled, The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart. Some interesting observations. Uh, essentially saying, in light of the current cultural dramas that we face, how much of that is being brought into the church? And therefore, what is the church now being known for? Well, that's a good question. It says, the aggressive, disruptive, and unforgiving mindset that characterizes so much of our culture, specifically even politics, has found a home in many American churches. It goes on to say, churches have become repositories, not of grace, but of grievances. The result is not only wounding the nation, it's having a devastating impact on the Christian faith, and especially as outsiders observe it. If you want me to believe in your Redeemer, then you should probably start looking like you're redeemed. Okay, let's just be fair. Sometimes life circumstances is really hard. And isn't a little complaining okay? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it, it's okay to be honest. You can be honest without complaining. I think you see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was honest about his stay in prison. He's like, hey, listen, it's really cold, it's dark, um, I need the jacket, uh, I, I, need, I need the essentials here, because this isn't a great place to be. Okay, let's just be honest. He's a realist, okay, realist. He says, this is not a great place to be. Um, but when I have these things, you know, then I, I'll, I'll have my basic necessities, I'll have what I need. Um, remarkably, what he doesn't say is this, I don't want to be here. You ever think about that? He says, I don't want to be here. And then what we learn is that through his affliction, other Christians become emboldened. Isn't that interesting? See, other Christians look at Paul and they're like, Paul is ride or die. Look at him in prison. The guy's a gospel savage. What about me? What am I willing to forgo? See, and they find inspiration. See, this is Paul not grumbling, arguing, complaining. He's saying, God, how can this be used for your glory? Whatever you do in all things, we do for the glory of God. It's, it's really compelling. Um, then he continues with an explanation of what happens when you and I adopt a, a thankful heart, a celebrative heart of gratitude. Verse 15, he says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So this is, this is basically the command to live blameless and innocent lives right in the middle of what he says is a crooked and twisted generation so that our godliness will be seen. Yes, that is possible. How so? Well, again, think of Paul's own context. There's this guy named Nero sitting on the throne. The guy is an absolute maniac. He's out of his mind. He will light his garden parties by burning Christians. He had an affinity for young boys, really young, uh, and other twisted things. What's interesting is that our own culture isn't too far removed. Whether it's the devaluing of, of human life or the exploitation of uh, childhood, the over-sexualization that you see, the prolifer pro proliferation of uh, pornography, um, and what's crazy is that even in our own time, a lot of these things are actually held up as virtues. Things that used to be solid vices are now actually becoming virtues. And so 
how do we shine in a world that exists like verse 16? He says, as you hold firmly, this is key, to the world, word of life. In other words, there's only one way you're going to make it. You have to hold fast to something. And what is it? It's the word of life. He says, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So he says, you and I shine in this darkened world by holding fast to the word that gives life. To hold fast literally means to fix one's attention on something, to concentrate on something. And the word of life is another way of saying the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the importance of staying connected to the word. So let me just say this with, with as much clarity and emphasis as I can. Illuminate, there is one thing that will pre prevent our light from being snuffed out by the darkness of this world, and that is this. Hold fast to the word. There is one thing that will protect you personally from becoming crooked and twisted like the world around you. We've talked about it before. The cultural current is very swift, and all one has to do is step into it and you will be carried away. When you hold fast to the word, what happens is you step into the culture, but you become that rock that is immovable. And the culture has to be confronted by you. And the culture begins to bend and adapt around you. There's one thing that will guard your heart and protect you from the perverse influence of a society, and that is holding fast the word of life. And so, the simple fact is, guys, if we don't maintain a diligent and disciplined approach to hearing and responding to God's word, then we will no longer shine. The name of the church is Illuminate. How do we do that? We hold fast to the word of God. So these are super practical words for our time because our world feels like it's particularly dark right now. Um, and those who don't yet know Jesus, I'm just telling you, I have a front row seat to this, as I know many of you do. People are desperately searching for some kind of light and hope, and they're asking question, questions of Christians like this. Does Jesus really make a difference? And when they look in the Christian community, they see grumbling and complaining, and they see all the things they see in the culture, they're quick to say, I really don't want to be a part of that because, you see, I can get that anywhere. I can get argument anywhere. I can get complaining. I want to be in the midst of people who celebrate. I want to be in the midst of people who are joyful, people who understand what redemption is, and, and, and they, they live it out. And then he has these really beautiful pastoral words. He says, make us proud. It's the idea that, you know, one day we're all going to stand before Jesus and the prayer is that that would be a really good day for you. And Paul wants, wants, wants to be proud of the members of this congregation. Again, godly pride. This is pride that seeks the glory of God. It's the pride that praises someone else. It's coming alongside another brother or sister and saying, I see you growing. I see you maturing. You're in a different place than you were. And you stand out. And I am really privileged to be able to say I'm super proud of our congregation. I am so proud of this gathering of believers. I've told you before, you know, I've got friends who are pastoring churches and they're struggling right now. And they have been for a while. This last 18, 24 months has been gnarly. Everything is under 
the pulpit's microscope. And what you learn is this, and this is what I would say to younger pastors and have had said to younger pastors. It's not just what you believe. Now more than ever, it is what you emphasize. Do you understand the difference? So Christian, what are you emphasizing with your life? What are you emphasizing? You've heard me say many times, do not lose your gospel voice. Because if you lose your gospel voice, you've missed it. That's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he, you know, he writes a lot of the New Testament. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, now I'm gonna deliver to you that which is of the utmost importance, priority number one. And what does he say? That Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again, according to the scriptures. Go fact check what all the prophets say. We're not making up some pie in the sky story. The Christianity is not a blind faith. Go look it up. All of the hundreds of prophecies regarding a forthcoming Messiah, it's great because he says, you want to go fact check it? Please do. I hope you do because what you're going to do is if you're open-minded and open-hearted, you will be convinced according to the scriptures. He lays it down. That is of the utmost priority. And so I, uh, this week I was having a conversation with a family and, and they were struggling a bit because they have a family member that's causing a lot of pain right now. And you know, you've, you're white, we all know this to be true, there is no pain like family pain. And I said, let me just share something with you. You can't let anyone steal your joy. You can't let a parent steal your joy. You can't let a child steal your joy. You can't let anyone steal your joy. Because your joy is found in knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him that transcends everything else. Realistically, you know there is heartache that comes into your life through broken relationships, you know, damage, all, all of that. that. That's very real. But if you allow others to steal your joy, I can tell you this, you're not holding fast to the word of life, literally the word that gives life. So in the second service, we're gonna see uh, some folks dedicate their kids. We're gonna see about 10 baptisms, but we have a special baptism today from our friend Sarah. She's got like a, she's got like a fan, row, fan club right here, man. Well done, yeah, nice, nice, nice. Nice to have those, tell me what that's like. And um, we get to be reminded that God is in the business of doing what? Changing lives. So Father, just with a tremendous heart of gratitude and celebration for all that you've done here, thank you. Father, at the same time, we ask that we would hold fast to the word of life because there are so many things that would rob us of a celebratory spirit every day should be dedicated to you for your glory. Lord, some of us right now, we need to be asking that, those hard, hard, challenging questions. God, what do you want to do through me in light of these circumstances? They're unwanted, but they're present. We stand in that long line of history. Those who hold fast to the word of life, they shine brightly, they become an inspiration to others. 
and there is a godly pride that collectively your people share. Father, we thank you for Sarah, for all of those that are going to dedicate their lives to you in a significant way this morning. As always, everything is about you. It's always about lifting up Jesus, about making him known, about making him famous. He's famous. Jesus, you are famous no matter what anybody says. We want to make you known. Bless our time. Bless those who are making this commitment to you. Even now, all for your glory. And God's people said, amen.